paper to take notes to follow along. Just raise your hand to hand that to you. But Rice is our missionaries that serve in Slovakia. They gave a report. They talked about some of those ministries. They are home in the States for just a few months. They are here with the three sons. Gavin, Peyton, and Dawson are with them as well today. And they are going to be sharing the Word of God with us this morning. So Jason, you come and you share with us. And thank you so very much for coming and being with us this morning. We appreciate it. Jesus Saves, I love that song. Uh, just a wonderful encouragement to us as well. I hope you believe that. That makes a huge difference in life. Um, it's not just something we do over in Slovakia, and of course you have the same job here. Thank you very much for your partnership. We love coming back to faith. Thank you for each and everything you do for us, for praying for us, for thinking of us at missions conference, for having the Adopt a Missionary group. We've had several great interactions with that as well. So thank you for your partnership in our ministry. And please know that uh, we don't take that for granted. Really, we don't. It's not just a thing where we say, oh, please pray for us and that's it. We really do uh, need that and we covet your prayers in that way. Thank you for everything you do, I think. I'm not sure if I have my pictures here. I guess not. Uh, Pastor Darko, as I mentioned in, in Sunday school, during Sunday school we gave an update of our ministry, what we're doing. And it's common when you go to another church in Slovakia that you send along or pass along greetings. So as I mentioned in Sunday school, Pastor Darko said before we left, he said, make sure when you go to the different places and travel that you pass along our greetings. So I'm doing that this morning. Uh, a church in Slovakia is thinking about you. So thank you uh, for that. And can I also pass the greetings back to them? Is that okay? I just get everybody's permission. I already got everybody's permission from Sunday school, but also uh, from you here too. So thank you for that. Uh, God is uh, enabling us to do a work, but let me introduce our family. So Adele, my wife, is here. Then our three boys, Gavin is 16 now. Peyton is 14 and Dawson's 11. He must be somewhere else in another room. But uh, thank you for everything you do for our entire family. Appreciate that. We, um, as, as we think about the different things that we do, I'll just share this story. And please know, as I said in Sunday school, this is, this is also partly due to you as well. So thank you, that, that partnership that exists. You have a part in each and every story that happens in Slovakia. So every year we get to go up to the mountains. And this is a special time for us because we live in the plains area. So we live down... I don't know, not in really a valley, but not in the mountains. We get to travel four hours to northern Slovakia to be a part in English camp. And our family loves English camp because there we get to be the experts for once. So we're, you know, at times you struggle in the language and learning a new language and you sometimes don't always come up with the right word to say, right? So there we get to be the experts and people actually ask us questions about how to say something. So we enjoy that, but we're there really mostly for the kids. So we had 60, 65 kids, I think, at camp this year, and then another 15 or so helpers who, are, who went through the camp before, and now they're helping out with it. So uh, a good chance to really pour into the lives of kids. And our theme this year was the ictus symbol, or the fish symbol that the early Christians used to use. 
And you even see that today on some cars and so on. But we talked about how Jesus is the son of God and how he's the redeemer and how he's the savior and how he's the the story of what he's done to redeem us as people. So that was our theme throughout the week. And I got to preach a couple times in the morning. And on Monday, I challenged them with this question. Are you a good fish or a bad fish? So how would you answer that if I asked you that question? Are you a good fish or a bad fish? Well... The reason the question comes up because I preached from the story of the dragnet. So Jesus, as he was talking about the kingdom, right? And he's talking about there's in this story, there's good fish and bad fish. But what it all boils down to is what is your relationship with Jesus Christ? If you know him as your personal savior, you're a good fish. So we challenge the kids with that. They ask themselves throughout the week, are you a good fish or a bad fish? Well, uh, Friday came, and as we were talking with them, one of the teachers also gave an invitation in her class, and four kids came to know Christ as Savior. So you have a part in that. So thank you very much for what you do with us. And pray for these kids, because I don't know all the backgrounds, but they're going back, a lot of them, even to families where maybe they're unchurched or, or they don't really have access to have the truth as it's preached from God's word. So pray for them that this wouldn't be something where they're just lost, but that they'll really get connected with the church that's up there in the area and that they can be discipled as time goes by. Let's turn now as we, as I share from God's word in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. question for you at the beginning here. Say you decide, well, today's not really a hiking day. I think it's a little drizzly. Uh, but say you were a nice, the weather's nice this week. You decide to go out for a hike and you, during your hike, you're in the woods, you come across a bear. Now that's not what really what you're hoping for as you begin your hike. But what do you do when you have that encounter? Okay, run. I think that's what you're told not to do, but what else? <laughs> What's that? Go ahead. Take a picture. Okay. <laughs> it might work, you know, with a flash. Maybe it would scare it or something. I, I don't know. Play dead. Okay, that's worst case scenario, right? So your, your last option, maybe to play dead. What else? Yell. Okay, yeah, that might be an option. <laughs> Roll up in a ball. Okay, yeah. Pray, that, definitely. Well, that's an understood, right? You need to pray. So uh, we have a lot of different things maybe we're told. Some people say, well, you have to make yourself as big as possible so that the bear doesn't think you're easy pickings, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe, and then just slowly back away. But what you don't want to do is turn around and head for it, right? Because then, oh, I'll chase might be the bear's reaction. So a lot of different things. We, we might wave our arms, play dead as a last resort. But At the end of the day, what do we know in this encounter? We know that no matter what happens, it's really not up to us as much, right? Because the bear can outrun us, can outclimb us, can pretty much do anything at once with us. So we are operating from a position of weakness, right? And all of those things, those strategies that we just talked about, they're all to try to mask that weakness. They're all to try to make the bear somehow think that maybe he doesn't have as much of an advantage as he really does. We're trying to mask that. We're trying to hide the weakness that we have in that encounter. The last thing we want to do is actually fight the bear because we know we're not a match for a bear. We're weak in comparison. In Christian churches, uh, I think there's been a shift 
at least over my lifetime, and I, I think I see this, and maybe you can verify on your own experience or not, but in, in society, well, in churches, we try to mask our weaknesses. There's, there's, a, there's a, that tendency, I think, that at least used to be, and I think we're coming out of that to some degree, but we try to mask our weaknesses. And we do this in society, right? So what happens on, in social media? Generally, I'm not going to, when I'm having my worst day, go to Facebook and let the whole world know about it, right? Some people t- do that, or you can do that, but generally we try to do what? We put our best foot forward. We want people to think that somehow we have it together, or we think that this was a great experience and somehow this is now typical of my life, and you can uh, give me congratulations or, or some way to promote myself somehow. Job interviews, we do this. Somebody sitting across the desk from us, what, what's one of the questions we know we're going to get? Tell me your strengths and your weaknesses, right? So then we're trained to think, okay, well, maybe we should give us our weakness, something that really could be seen as a strength too, right? So maybe a perfectionist. Well, who doesn't like a perfectionist? Because you do a good job, right? So we try to do all these things. We have all these strategies to mask the weaknesses that we have in our life. We hide our insecurities by overcompensating sometimes, by avoiding stressful situations, sometimes even by aggressive behavior, All these ways we have to cope. And it's for good reason. Because if people know about my weakness, what could they do? And what do they sometimes do, or maybe often do, is they will exploit those. Or maybe they'll bring them up in a situation where we don't want to hear about them again. And we've all been hurt. Maybe multiple times. So we try to hide those so that those things don't happen. So that they won't be exploited by the people that we know around us. We use our weaknesses to show, people use our weaknesses to show they're better than us, to gain an advantage in some way, to make them feel better about themselves. But unfortunately, as I said, we don't even hide our weaknesses in church, or we do hide our weaknesses in church. Unless, of course, it's time to share the gospel, then, oh, I'm weak in that area, that's not my gift, right? That can be our response. But generally speaking, even there, we want to be careful about not admitting too much. And, and yet, uh, hopefully this is changing. And I struggle with this too. We don't want to, oh, hi, how are you doing? My name is Jason. And let me tell you about the ways that maybe I struggle in my life. And yet, of all the places where we can actually share our weaknesses, where we can feel comfortable or know that maybe it's a good thing to bring these out to other people would be church. And this is where we need to be doing that. So I hope that you will continue this as well. There's been positive movement. Let's continue the trend. But overall in life, as our general tendency is to hide them, we're going to see in today's passage, Paul actually says something different. That instead of hiding our weaknesses, that we can actually bring them up and we can, we can, um, it's a good thing. That they're a good thing because of what can come from them. So let's look at that. In 2 Corinthians chapters 2 to 7, Paul is defending his ministry. And this is the end of his initial defense in this passage. But people are talking about Paul. Paul's not always the most popular guy. They're, they're, they're questioning Paul about how he's doing things. They're questioning even the things that they don't know about his motives. They're saying, well, Paul's doing these things for this reason. So Paul's on the defense. He's trying to tell the Corinthians by writing these things that, that no, he has their best interest in mind, that he's doing things the right way. And that's what we see here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He, he goes through and says what he doesn't do. He's, he's renounced the dishonesty. He's not walking in craftiness. He's handling the word of God not deceitfully. 
Basically, he says, I'm sharing the truth. So he's defending himself. And he's talking about this ministry that he has in chapter 3, about how he has the, the new covenant is so much better than the old. He talks about the old covenant. It's temporary. It's something that's not going to be around forever. This new covenant that he has is eternal. And this is the message that you and I have to share. And then he starts to talk in verses 1 through, one through 6 of chapter 4. He's talking about our message, how we're to shine the light of the gospel. The imagery here is incredible. Talking about a darkness and talking about what the the God of this world or Satan is doing. He's trying to blind the hearts and the minds of people. Have you seen that as you interact with people? This blinding that's happening. But in spite of that, something much better is able to shine, to penetrate into that darkness that is our hearts. And how people come to know Christ in this beautiful new creation language that happens in verses 5 and 6. But as he moves on from that, our passage is going to start in verse 7, where now he talks not of the message, but of the messengers. And by the way, that's not the Rice family in Slovakia. Messengers being each one of us as redeemed Christians sitting here today. Because all of us are called to be heralds of the same truth. All of us are in this together. In the passage, we're going to learn the main point, which is up in front of you. Embrace your weakness because it shows God's power. We're going to see this throughout the passage uh, as, as Paul is talking about our weakness. And this is a missions text. Paul's talking about his ministry among the nations. Who's he writing to? The Corinthians. He's talking, talking about his experiences as he's working among the nations. So this isn't just, though... A text for missionaries. As I said, we're all called to be sent. We see this in John and in many other books. From Paul himself. That all, this is for all of us. So these passages aren't really a definition of missions. In other words, you can't go to chapters 4 and 5 and say, okay, missions is this. And then fill, out, fill in the blank. It's more of a description of missions. So as Paul is going, as he is shining this light that is the gospel, it's penetrating hearts, and there are things that come up, and his weakness comes up. And we're going to see from Paul's heart here how, what he thinks of this weakness. This is missions with clothes on. It's fleshed out, described for us all to see. Paul ends in chapter 6, and it's amazing here. He's ascending to the face of God himself. He's looking at this gospel light. But here in verse 7, we have, we come back down to earth. In fact, we're reminded again that, hey, life is not rosy all the time. There are problems. We're weak. And Paul, as he begins in 7 and goes through the end of the chapter of verse 4, he's actually being an optimist, but this passage is littered with references to groaning, to wasting away. Affliction, despair, persecution, death. You guys ready for this? (laughs) And yet we're going to see that he's an optimist in spite of the language because he knows something that in spite of these things, he knows that there's a deeper truth. He's a master communicator. So I'd like to dive in here to our text. First of all, I want to point out that this is a missions text. Let's go to verses 13 to 15. He's talking about giving out the gospel. Verse, starting in verse 13. We have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. 
Wow, what a way to say it. Paul's quoting the psalmist in chapter 115 of the Psalms. David's writing, God has just delivered him from death, and now he writes. And he speaks. And Paul is identifying with him. Because if you know anything about the verses that come right before these, it's all about the struggle, right? It's all about this, this, the problems, the, the persecution. So he's identifying with David and, and in this. And he's saying, I know, I believe, and I speak. For Paul, this is a foregone conclusion. In other words, you don't have one without the other. You don't have I believe, and that's the end. I believe, period. That doesn't work for Paul. You have, I believe, or I I know, I know the truth, I believe, and I speak. That to him was a given. I hope it's a given in your life also. We we tell people about what has happened. We, we, We give out this good news. We believe, so of course we speak. And for Paul, it's all about, what is he saying in these three verses? It's all about this, this thanksgiving. And he's talking about more people. May, this thanksgiving that may redound to the glory of God. Isn't that why missions exists? It's because people, whether in Slovakia or whether in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, aren't giving God the glory. That's why it exists. That's why we do what we do. That's why we need to tell people we give out the gospel because of that fact. I believe and I speak. And he also mentions this idea that more and more. So he wants more and more people to know about this. Now, let's, let's turn to our, our, our main point now. And we're going to see in, in this passage this embracing our weakness. And, and yes, it's not something we need to run in run from, but we need to embrace this. Uh, you know, I think of the, the boxes that come in the mail, and some of them, depending on what's in the package, they have a stamp on them. And what might they, that say? Fragile, right? Well, that's us. We might as well have that fragile marked right on the back of our neck, stamped fragile, because that's what we are as human beings. We're, we're, we're are not forever. We are not able to, and we're reminded of this of every day, we're not able to continue as we do. Uh, in our, in our strength as we, day by day, get weaker and weaker as we go through life. First of all, let's look and see. We're embracing our weakness because it shows God's power. And we see the true source of power as we begin. Let's start in verse 7. And we'll read until the end of verse 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. And the life also of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus, might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Wow. We go back to verse 7 here, and we see that uh, we see the true source of power when we experience weakness. Look at some of these terms. Well, treasure, we all know what that is, although our definition of it might vary. Your treasure might not be my treasure. My treasure might not be your treasure. We all have a different idea of what this looks like. But what's surprising about this verse is what we put the treasure in. And what is that? Earthen vessels or jars of clay. What in the world is going on here, Paul? Why would you do that? Because we all know what we're supposed to do with treasure. You don't want to put treasure in something where the treasure is going to be destroyed. You don't want to place it somewhere where it's going to be forgotten. Or maybe that it would be misunderstood. 
So what do you do with your treasures? My uncle gave me a beautiful guitar, something I would never have enough money to buy, but he collects guitars. And he gave me a a fancy one, the fanciest one I've ever had. I didn't take that home and throw it in the corner of the room or stick it in my case that's coming apart and actually one time my guitar dropped out of it. I'm not going to put that that treasure in that case, right? I'm going to find a suitable container for that. My grandfather, when he passed away, he served in the military, so we received a flag as a family. And that's a treasure to our family. So what did I do? I went to Amazon and I bought a container for that. And I put that flag in there. It's on our mantle so that I can see that. So it's displayed. That's what we do with treasures. We don't put family heirlooms in an old bucket outside so it gets lost. So what is Paul talking about that we have this treasure, which by the way is what? The treasure that he's talking about is the gospel. He's just finished explaining that. This glorious gospel, verse 4, of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So this gospel is the treasure. He tells us that it's in earthen jars or that it's in jars of clay. That's us. That's exactly who we are. These were cheap, ordinary, fragile containers. Every day, if it broke, okay, not a problem. We'll make another one. That's these type of containers. They're fragile. They're disposable. We know a lot about disposable in our day and age, right? That's what a lot of our things are. It breaks. Okay, just get another one. Throw it away. But why is this this the case? Why does Paul say that this is where our treasure is? That it's in us. Why does God place the gospel, the treasure of the gospel in us? Broken, fragile containers. Well, let's look at a couple principles. First, this is... Not when we start talking about the power here. This is to show what is the true source of power. So I don't know if any of you like math. Let's do a math equation. MP plus my MP would be my power. GP would be God's power. So is this what's going on? So my power plus God's power equals MPGP. My power, God power. You think that's it? Anybody like math? I don't know. I, I used to like math, but it's been a while. So. Is that what this equation is, is what Paul's talking about in this text? And I would say, no, it's absolutely not. Because what's happening is he says, we're, this treasure is placed in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So what is the true equation here? It's this. My power plus God's power equals God's power. In other words, I did not bring something to the table in this. I did not somehow add what was lacking in God so that somehow, oh, now he can do what he wants to do in the world in Slovakia because thankfully he has Jason Rice on his team. That's not at all what's happening. We had nothing to this. We see that the excellency of the power is from God, not from us. It's a privileged guardianship, not a personal ownership. Who's the most important in this equation? Who has the power here? Who is, uh, who is directing the situation? It's God himself. We're good at collecting things as people, right? We collect everything. I collected baseball cards when I was young. That was my treasure, and I would collect that. Any chance I would get, if I had money, I'd go, okay, I'm going to buy another pack of baseball cards. We collect stamps. We collect, uh, what else? Anything, you name it, if you look on eBay, it's probably there. Somebody has a collection for it. Uh, some kind of stamps or, or coins or whatever it might happen to be. We have the power. We take, we collect, we guard. We even do this with animals and zoos. 
But here we see that this is the reverse. There's a reversal. We become the storage receptacle. God is the one directing. He is the one that says, I will give you the gospel. You will be entrusted with this. You will be, have this guardianship. So embrace your weakness. It shows God's power. In, in other words, we say at the end of the day, you know what? It's not me. I can't in my prayer letters say, you know what? We're extremely gifted at this and this is what we were able to accomplish. No. God is the only reason we're even over there to begin with and he gives us the power each and every day to do what we do. Secondly, we embrace our weakness because it can lead to life in others. Now, when we speak of weakness, I should say this. Uh, yes, it can refer to our inherent humanness, right? It's who we are as people. But also, when Paul uses the word weakness, he talks about it as, as also this group of circumstances and things that are happening in my life that aren't pleasant. Those can also be weaknesses. In other words, uh, Paul, I mean, you, you've, you've read his lists about how he was shipwrecked, how he was beaten, how he was kicked out of cities and stoned and so many different things. This can all be part of this weakness, too. But look at what Paul says and how he describes it here. It's amazing rhetoric. He's, he gives us word pairs. So the first one is bad. No one wants to say under my name, this is what I'm experiencing, the first set. But then the second set is almost drawing that to an extreme and saying, oh, here's the extreme end of it. So Paul is saying we're between what? We're troubled on every side. That's bad. But yet we're not distressed. We're perplexed, which is bad, but not in despair because if you're in that spot, that's much, much worse. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. Wow. How can Paul go through these things? Talk about weakness. This is amazing. He's able to because, remember in Philippians, what did he want to share in? Do you remember Paul's words? Something I probably have not repeated in my prayers. I need to. He wanted to share even in Christ's what? His sufferings. Amazing. But see, Paul sees something going on under the surface that's much deeper. Yes, those things are bad. But he's able to peel up what's going on on the surface and say that, oh, wait a second, something good is happening here. And what is that good thing? What does he say? He says, death worketh in us, verse 12, but life in you. This is amazing. Now, when we think of death, we have a tendency to avoid death, right? So my, the place that I want to go this afternoon is probably not going to be a nursing home. It's probably not going to be a funeral home. In fact, we were just at one yesterday. I don't want to be in those places. It reminds me of my weakness. I don't want to be around death all the time. And sometimes we, we do whatever we can to avoid those places. But there's also a healthy view of death. Because when we look at that, we're really looking at a transition, Right? We're looking at a transition and we're looking at a result. We look beyond death. Yes, death is a moment, but that's not the end for us as Christians. There's a passing through going on to live with Christ in eternity. So what does Paul have in mind here? He's, he's, yes, these things seem bad. Sounds rather gruesome. I mean, look at how he describes it in, in verse 10. Uh, we're bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Wow. How are we carrying around death? That doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound like something that I, I want to do, that I'll volunteer for. And yet Paul here is saying this is what happens for him. And, and what is exactly is he talking about here? Well, I don't think it's too complicated. This is exactly what he's been telling us. The sufferings. 
the, the being in despair, the, the being persecuted, the being cast down. This is him carrying around in a small way in his body the death of Jesus, how he's able to exemplify this. Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Oh, praise the Lord, though, there's a, a that phrase, right? A lot of times in Scripture you say, okay, well, this is the situation, but then he says, so that, okay, okay, good. So maybe there's a reversal here, and there exactly is. That the what? Verse 11, life also of Jesus might be made manifest, manifest in our mortal flesh. Now this has turned into something positive that, that Jesus is being shown through us. Sacrifice and suffering, we don't really like to go through these things. And I ask you a question. Do you have a theology of suffering? You say, oh, no, I'm not a theologian. I don't know what that is. No, you do. You have one. Basically, it's what you think, how, how God relates to suffering. You have to have some idea or you have to have some kind of a, a thought, some thoughts about that. You have a theology. So what is your theology of suffering? Avoid it at all costs. Worst thing ever. Or is it maybe a means to an end, something that helps me in my relationship to Jesus Christ? Is it somehow that I can identify with the fallen Savior? Some people in our culture, in our society, say it's a bad thing every time. It's all about health and wealth. It's all about if you have enough faith, you can remove those negative things from your life. It's all about having the positive things. Remove that. It's up to you. You can handle this. You can do this. Believe in yourself. That's not what we read from Paul at all in this passage. We're embracing our weakness because it shows God's power, the true source of power. It leads to life in others. And then lastly, we, hear, we see that it produces something eternal. Now, as he continues on in verse 16, I'd like to read those three verses, 16 to 18. For which cause we faint not... But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Notice there's a disparity between what we see and what's actually happening under the surface, right? We're we're looking to the things that are... Uh, that are seen, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And, and he gives us word pairs again. So, though our outward man perish, we see this, we're reminded of this every day, of reading in the news of how people are dying, about maybe a family member, a co-worker, and so on. Yes, we know that's happening. Yet, he says, the inward man is renewed day by day. Yes, we have a light affliction, which he says, by the way, it's momentary. But... It works for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Yes, there are things which are seen, which are temporal, but things that are not seen are eternal. So yes, there's something we're giving up, but there's something we get back in return. And what does Paul say about it? It's much more valuable. And I'll be honest, the afflictions sometimes don't seem temporary, do they? They're hard. They last longer than we want to. They wreak havoc on our relationships, on our personal lives. But Paul says, wait a minute, step back. See the larger picture. They're temporary. What's coming is much better. There will be a a positive result to this. 
So yes, there's something we're giving up, but something we get back in return is much more valuable. Then in chapter 5, we don't have time to go through that all this morning, but he gives a long illustration. So he's talking about what, what this is meaning to him. He, he gives the illustration of a tent. Anybody have a tent still? <laughs> Some people still camp. I know I, we used to go out as kids and it was fun. I liked it. But as I, I found over time, as I get older, it's not as much fun as I thought. You know, I think, well, I'll, for old time's sake, let's go take the tent out and let's, let's have fun. Well, maybe, I don't know. Is it the body that's a little more not as flexible, not able to recover? And then, you know, you have your, I remember your pillow gets there and then it's, it's, more, it's damp. And then you wake up and maybe it rained or something and you can't touch the side of the tent. And you go to take your shower, and there might be spiders and things. So it's fun for a couple of days, but really, do we? There's a reason we don't all live in tents. And you didn't come from your tent this morning. Now, maybe there was somebody. Anybody come from a tent? Probably not. Okay, but there's a reason we want homes. We want something that's a little, a little bit easier to live in. When we see a tent, we're reminded of the fact that this is temporary. This might be for a week. This might be for a couple of days, and and then we're going to move on, right? Then we're going to go into something that we're more used to. But he talks about his body being a tent in chapter 5. And, and he, he mentions the groaning, verse 2, this, this desire to be clothed. And then he starts talking about a house. See, he's comparing tents and houses. The tent is his body. It's something that's temporary. But he knows that at the end of the day, the tent is not the end of the story. The day he leaves the earth, his tent will be gone. And he will then move into a home which is prepared by his heavenly father. And this home is eternal. It's not something that is temporary and passing away. So yes, as hard as the problems are, as, as, as difficult as the situations might be, Paul reminds us they're temporary. It's something that will pass. What a concept. Paul's opponents were pointing to all of his afflictions, his sufferings. Hey, I, we've told you there's something fishy about this guy. There's something, something not right. Look at everything he's going through. And they could point to a lot of things in Paul's life. And yet Paul, we would expect, expect Paul to, okay, he heard all those accusations. He heard all of the, the, saying, the whispering behind his back. And as he steps up and he pens these words, you think, okay, now he's going to say, no, it's not true. Or this is why. But what does he do? He embraces the weakness. Wow, I didn't see that one coming. I'm reminded of Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. What does he say? Remember, this is where Paul has the thorn in the flesh. We're very familiar. Maybe you haven't memorized. He goes back and forth with God, asks him three times, what, do, what is the answer? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for what? My power is made perfect in weakness. That's the way God prefers to work. And thank goodness because we're all weak. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why does God work this way? Why does he use weak people? And Paul wasn't the only one, man. We have story after story, right? You go back, Gideon and, and Moses and so, so many people. In fact, probably everyone, right? Why, why in the world would God choose to work with us in this way? Why doesn't he just do the job himself? 
He uses somebody like Moses who couldn't speak well to bring the voice of God to over a million people. Wow. He uses a little boy's small lunch to feed thousands. And he wants to use you. As insignificant as you think you are, as insignificant as I think I am, God still delights in using us if we allow ourselves to be used by him. As we finish up this morning, are you embracing and are you embracing the weakness in your life? First of all, I want to ask, have you been changed by the treasure of the gospel that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? Paul took it for granted that he says, well, you know, you believed and you've spoken. Have you even believed? Let's go back a step. Have you believed this treasure that he's talking about, this gospel that penetrates into dark hearts? Do you know that God created you for a purpose, that you were created for relationship with your God to bring him glory? Are you aware that you've messed up? Paul tells us in Romans that all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And we know where that leads. He continues on later and says that the penalty for this is death. The wages of sin is death. It's not the end of the story, though, because we know that the gift is involved, too. John chapter 3 and verse 16 talks about Jesus dying for our sins. God so loved the world. In this way, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you been born a second time? Have you had that spiritual birth? First question, but if you're a member already of this more and more group that Paul's talking about, you're already giving thanks to God. You're already giving him glory that he mentions. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Are you embracing opposition and suffering today as you interact with lost people? So the weakness, we're all, we're all aware of it. We all see it too readily. Are you embracing it, though? Or are we complaining about the problems we have to face? Are we hiding out of fear, avoiding witnessing to people because we don't want to face those things? Are we discontent or grumbling about something that happened? About our light momentary afflictions. I want to challenge you also, in addition to this, in a more specific way. Paul, in spite of his weakness, saw himself as a jar of clay that was able to go to the nations because of God's power. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm a jar of clay, yes. Maybe God can use me in that way. And I challenge you, if, if you've thought about it, would you be, consider that? There's so much work to be done in Slovakia and in other countries across this world. We need jars of clay. We don't need superheroes. We don't need people who have it all together. We need jars of clay who recognize the fact, but yet are willing to say, God, use me. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've thought about missions. Maybe you've thought about, oh, it must be a tough area to work or it must be amazing to live among people who don't know Christ and how different that might look. I urge you to consider missions, to consider being a jar of clay to be used by God. Imagine what God can do in our lives and what he is doing. And you folks are already examples of this and how you are committed to bringing the lost to Christ. And that's, that's wonderful. You're to be commended for that. Thank you for that. For showing on this side of the ocean of, of, of how that can be done and reaching your local community. Thank you. Imagine what God can do for us as we, as we grasp this fact and that we don't hide from the weakness but we say yes I'm weak but God is strong and because of that I will continue on let's pray